As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realised it's not just the story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made page one. Page one is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy to use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one. Hello and welcome to the very first episode of the Page One podcast. The first ever episode, Marco. It is the first episode, so that's an exciting thing for us anyway. I'm not sure about all of you listening. <laughs> you just heard an advert there for Page One, which is a notebook designed by writers for writers. I'm Marco Rinaldi. I'm Tara Kashkinani. And uh, we're both aspiring writers, and uh, we hope that notebook will help writers of all descriptions. If you are interested in it, please do check it out. The link's in the bio. It's coming to Kickstarter soon. Now, each week we're going to speak to a different writer about their writing process, uh, how they come up with their ideas, what they've written and what's next. And we hope that each week you'll learn a little bit more about maybe how to improve your own writing. It's certainly been educational for us. We've recorded a few of these already. And uh, the first one we recorded was with uh, Gary Moffat, who's a Glasgow-based lawyer, but also a successful crime writer. He's written uh, five books now, the first four of which are a Scottish crime stroke uh, action thriller series, very kind of Lee Child. Yeah, the first of those was Daisy Chain, which is about a Glasgow-based lawyer, so you might see the similarity with Gary, (laughs) Uh, and uh, we discussed that in the podcast, and there were four books in that series, and then his most recent book is Blackwater, which is a bit of a change of pace. It's still a crime novel, but it's set in small-town America, and we discuss how that change came about with Gary as well. Now, Gary was kind enough to invite us to his office in our rainy February afternoon, and we had a really good time with him, and we hope you guys have a really interesting listen. We should say as well that we did have some problems with the audio on this one, uh, this being our first podcast and all, but we have uh, cleaned it up as much as possible, and we think it sounds good. We'll be back at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime... Enjoy the very first episode of the Page One podcast. A very fancy office. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. yeah. Been here for a long time. Yeah. Um, it's what me. It, do, you, do you want to be there, yeah. even though it's kind of like an interview in that? <laughs> but it's just because the, the way this thing works, mics. Yeah, yeah. This feel like an interview. We've all got the same jumper on. Exactly. That's a good start. Playing games on Friday, is it? Yeah, yeah. Excellent. It's good. I always, uh, I always like. I'm going to chat about the book. It's a nice. The books. It's a nice sort of break from the real job. Yeah, yeah no. exactly. Yeah, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. I, just, I, I think we all suffer from imposter syndrome, but particularly in relation to the books, I suffer from imposter syndrome yeah. because, um, although it was brilliant to have them, and you know, still they're still out there, you know, and it never really took off the way that we all want, which is it becomes your full time career. Yeah, you can yeah, do absolutely. it. Um, 
And so I spent, you know, five or six years on the circuit doing Edinburgh Festival and Bloody Scotland. Oh, right, okay, and stuff. Yeah, yeah. And, and then it kind of stops a bit. And I did a bit more a year and a half ago with another book that came out. And, I, you know, feel like you're, you're, you're kind of... It's such a different world, you know, the, the commercial law world from the book world. Yeah, yeah, I suppose this, the starting point for us is, you know, you're a lawyer who has also got these books out there. I mean, how, do you, how did you find the time? Yeah, I mean, I did it different ways for different books. I, I kind of found my way a bit. I mean, I think, I don't know how other writers do it, but my sense from hearing others on the circuit is that everyone does it differently to suit themselves. <laughs> so, um, finding the time, I mean, I just, I, I always interested in, at school in creative writing essays. I always chose them. Yeah. Always had a desire to do it. Um, loved reading as a kid, as a teenager, as an adult. And it was really, I don't know, I, I think I was, not long after our first daughter was born, so I would have been 30, 30, 31 I just decided I was going to give it a bash, so I went out and I kind of, I suppose like a lot, I'm quite a, um, you know, you do the personality testing, your reds, your blues, yeah. your yellows and your greens, mm-hmm. and lawyers are mainly you know, reds and blues, we're very regimented and logical, and I think I'm like that, and I'm, so I decided to sort of compartmentalise the writing life, so I bought a, a separate laptop, I thought oh, that'll be my sort of writing oh, right, okay, yeah. And I think I, I named it that in a kind of cheesy way, like, give me your computer name, it yeah, was yeah. writing mm-hmm. machine. Um, and I just I sat down and start writing. So did it. Um, it was. I mean, I read. I most of the stuff I used to read. I don't read as much as I used to. But most of the stuff I used to read then was American crime fiction. I didn't really read much, if any, Scottish. Never mind yeah. British stuff. Mm. Um, so I set out to write a, an American crime thriller. Um, <clears throat> Decided I was going to set it in a big city, but one that wasn't that well known for fiction, because then you're not tied to the cliches. Yeah. Or so I decided to set it in Denver. There's lots of reasons why I decided to set it there. Um, and while I think we mentioned um, in our exchanges the write what you know cliche. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I don't, I, I don't, I don't totally buy into that at mm-hmm. all. Otherwise, no one would ever write science fiction. No. Yeah, for that's, example. That's true. <laughs> um, but th- there's something in, in um, you know, very similitude and appearance of truth or reality. And so I decided that I should really go to Denver if I'm going to write about it, rather than just. And this is 2000, uh, 2001, 2003 ish. So you know. Google Earth wasn't available yeah, and yeah. Google Street View wasn't available in the way it is now where you can see the world. So, um, and, and weirdly, I kept all the ticket stubs and hotel bookings for that trip because it was a big trip for me. It was, I was going to research my, a book I wanted to write. Um, <coughs> this is after your daughter's born, you, you went yeah, out yeah, to Denver. Yeah, so yeah. She, yeah, so she must have been one, one and a half or something like that. Um, actually, no, maybe, maybe two or three because I think it was already into the book by the time I decided right. to go I think I'd started it and then decided I'm really going to have to go here and I looked at the tickets a few years ago and it was like £230 return to Denver which is you to get a flight like that just now is, would be incredible yeah. <laughs> uh, but it was off peak so yeah. you know that yeah. probably explained it so actually and because um, we had a young kid it wasn't going to be a family trip I only wanted to go for a sort of a long weekend you know it's a long way to go for a long weekend so um, my dad volunteered to go with me. So oh, right, okay. me and my dad went, flew over there. Um, he, we had a, an old VHS video camera, uh-huh. 
I guess it wouldn't have been that old then. It was still te- technologically <laughs> sound. And he basically sort of, I filmed a lot, and if I was walking around, he would sort of film a bit of me walking around. I'd gotten in touch to the Denver Police Department with a, a cop over there, a detective sergeant, so I'd exchange oh, sort of emails with him. We were supposed to meet up, but we never actually managed to meet up while I was there, which was a bit of a bummer. But, you know, went to the police station, went round the... I'd had a, a, a bought out of Waterstones a, a street map of Denver, so mm-hmm. in starting to write, I'd sort of plotted out where I thought things were going to happen. Yeah. So I went to see those spaces to make sure that it looked right and it worked, yeah. and then get a better, more vivid sort of physical understanding of them. So that was that was a brilliant trip. Um, helped spur on the writing. It took a long time to write that book. I don't know if that was because I, I wasn't regimented. I was doing it when I kind of had time, yeah. or because it was the first go and that maybe it's always difficult I don't know and I suppose you had a, a, a new child at that point as yeah well. and then another daughter came along in 2004 oh, right, okay. so, so I eventually finished it it probably took me a good three to four years to finish yeah. it so I finished it I think 2004 or five. Is that first draft or like finish yeah well come back to the process yeah. in a minute but but that first book, I, I wrote and rewrote it as I went along. I didn't do a first draft and right. go back to okay. it, and that was a huge mistake. I would never... Well, I don't know how other people were, but I found that hopeless because you're just constantly reinventing it yeah. and you know, useless for all sorts of reasons. took forever. Um, but got it in a finished state, sent it to a bunch of agents, You know, bought the Writers and Artists Handbook or Yearbook, whatever it's called, yeah, if yeah. that's still around. Yeah. yeah. You know, again, sort of largely pre-internet in terms of everything being available um, sent a bunch of agents got a fairly new agent uh, interested a guy called I forget his name now um, Ampersand Agency it was called um, oh, yeah. can't remember his name yeah. um, I think he's semi-retired now um, he liked to um, identified some things to change about it but said well why don't I sort of go out to publishers anyway so did that um, got a bit of interest from one who said wasn't really there but we liked the writing he came back to me and said look rewrite that here's all the things that I think you need to change and we'll have another go so I rewrote it send it back to him he didn't actually uh, like it that much but I said well you've got you've got one on the hook would you go and see how you got on with that went back to them they sent it to an external reader and said really really liked it but it's just it's, it's just not quite there so that was the um, process of writing the first one. And how many agents did you, did you sort of carpet them? N- no, so you know, identified the ones that listed as crime thrillers. Yes. Yeah. You, know, you, you, you want to be specifically mm-hmm. targeted yeah, yeah. because they don't all, you know, no. they don't all do that. So it was probably no more than 10 to 12 right. or something okay, like that. Okay, cool. Um, I know the others rejected it, so... Or didn't come back. Yeah. So yeah. You know, he was the only one. So yeah. So it's very much the first one was finding my feet in terms of when I did it, how I did it. Um, I hadn't pla- did I plan that one out? I didn't plan that one out. So I was just doing it off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. I found that wasn't good for me either. So that was you know, the first one was really definitely sent a, a case of finding your feet yeah. and experimenting with things. Yeah, exactly. The learning more. process. Yeah. yeah, and and so to to the extent that for the sort of latter half of the book, because the writing and rereading and rewriting and the non-planning part of it 
or process that I'd adopted was just all, wasn't working for the second part. I wrote down actually a really very detailed sort of page by page almost okay. plan for, for writing it, and that helped me get through it. Yeah. The agent came back to me and said, Right, that's not working. That's an American book, difficult to sell from a British author. Why don't you write something here? Yeah. And I wasn't really into that, but I said, Well, I, I think you should take advice from the people you're. The professional. Yeah. yeah. So I took his advice to say to write something set here, and that was the first one that got published. Daisy Chain. Daisy Chain. Okay. And again, I learned a lot from the the first one. So going into Daisy Chain, I decided I would plot it from the beginning. Mm-hmm. Not quite as detailed as that last one because I found that a wee bit inhibiting the sort of page by page mm-hmm. almost. So I plotted sort of event by event, yeah. and characters and stuff. Um, I became more regimented in terms of writing, so I'd, you know, because with the two kids by that stage, the way we worked it was I would, my wife didn't work at that point, so I would come home, I would uh, would feed them, the kids together, I would then give them their bath so that, you know, A, my wife got a break, and B, I was, you know, interacting with them, and then once that was done, I would maybe three nights a week plus usually so Sunday afternoon was a big writing time for me I would say right half eight nine o'clock I'm way up to the study I'm going to do a few hours yep. um, and that, that, that worked and, and then I would do Sunday afternoon a good block I would do holidays and that was a much better way of doing it it wasn't I didn't choose the same day every week mm-hmm. so it wasn't like I'll do Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday or one, Monday, Wednesday, Friday it was just I'll try and do two or three days a week yep. plus the weekend yep. you didn't wait for Inspiration or something like that before you sat down to write. No, I mean, you'd sort. And there'd be times, there'd be times when you would sit down, and even though I had it plotted out, you'd still sit down and look at the page for a bit and go, "I'm not sure where I'm going with this." And actually, the the, I was going to say the trick, the technique I found that worked for me at least was go back and read the previous two or three chapters. Yeah, just get your head back into Into that mode of yeah, and that just that. And then once you start, you may start slow, it, it starts to come again. And there were times when it was really slow and I would do a couple of hours and just, ah, it's not working tonight. And there's times where I'd sit down and I'd still be writing at 1am because yeah, mm. you're in the flow. Is that quite an important thing, you think, having that time to say, I'm going to have to, I'm going to sit down for two hours and I'm going to write and whether or not I, I get a lot or not, not, not a lot, I'm going to make sure I have that space to actually try and write something for, for me definitely because the, f- the the experience with the first one was, was not like that it was just whenever I decided mm. so I'd go weeks without doing anything right. and it it just was it just took too long and yeah. in a in the context of a commercial book rather than a literary book um, you know you, you need to deliver on a time scale yeah. you don't have the luxury of taking 10 years to write a book yeah absolutely yeah. so yeah I think for me the regiment Definitely, definitely worked. Yeah. Okay. And then what happened after that? So you, you, you kind of you had your book finished, and then what, what happened at that point? Yeah. So finished that. Um, so that took maybe a year and a half. It was much quicker, much better process. Um, sent the draft to the agent. He didn't like it. All right. <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, it, it was odd that he, I mean, it was an immediate sort of yeah. I don't like that. There's these things missing with it, and these were and the things that he didn't like about it were just as it turned out because it got published just things that an editor would fix yeah. you know that there was nothing significant it wasn't about the style of writing or anything had, had you told him what the plot was or anything before that no no I no. just landed it on him just yeah. landed it. he knew I was doing something yeah, yeah. based here but I think I, I don't think I sent him 
I might have sent him a synopsis, but yeah, yeah. I'm not sure if I did or not. Um, and was it very similar to the first book you'd written, or was it just set here, or was it really a totally different feel of a book? Um, no, different feel. Right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, quite quite different, I think. Um, I mean, still a crime thriller, but mm-hmm. yeah, different enough, yeah. Um, so, so I said to him, well, okay, that's fine. We, we will just part ways um, if you don't like it. Okay. But, you know, you had that one editor who liked the first one. Can you can you remind me of her contact details? And I'll go to her. And any of the others that showed a sort of vague interest in the writing of the first one. So he gave me, I think, three or four. Uh, one was the editor. can't remember which publishing house she was at. Give me another one. can't remember the name of it. And he gave me the name of the one that eventually took it. So that was Bob McDevitt, who was just set up Hachette Scotland. So right. that was a new division of Hachette, which is headline and yeah. and lots of yeah. different ones. Uh, so I sent it to all of them. <clears throat> I think the, the women that liked the first one didn't like this one. And I think the other ones had come back to me other than Bob and said no. So, And it must have been a good... F- four or five months I think and, and I'd kind of just stopped at that point because I thought well it's it's not happened mm. actually I'd taken up trying to learn guitar because I'd always wanted to do that I thought well I'm not writing so I'll do something yeah, else that'll yeah. keep, me, keep me interested um, so it was a good few months uh, and I was coming back from a conference in Edinburgh I think it was at Dynamic Earth and I got a, there was a message on my phone just see it Bob McDevitt I was like oh that's interesting so I listened to that voicemail he said give me a phone phoned him um I'd only seen him, you know, the standard sort of three chapters yeah. or something synopsis. He really liked it. He said, um, you know, he was looking for a thriller because it was a new imprint. Uh, he wanted a kind of variety of different books. And mm-hmm. This was, um, it'd been sitting at the bottom of the pile and when he, he thought it was just going to be another sort of rubbish Scottish crime thriller, <laughs> he, liked it and he, quite, he liked it, it wasn't. Um, so sent the whole thing, he liked that. I mean, he identified initially a lot of the things that the, the agent hadn't. Mm-hmm liked about it or wanted to change but Bob was a publisher rather than editor so although he had a kind of buyer's eye for it it was going to be an editor because Hachette in Scotland didn't have any other resource really other than Bob he was being resourced from Hachette in London so it was an editor in London that was assigned I mean that, that's quite an unusual route isn't it though that yeah. you effectively got picked up yeah, by absolutely. the agent okay. yeah, yeah. I, and I don't know I mean that was more than 10 years ago so I don't know if that route would be open mm-hmm. Um, now I think it probably is more open now. Actually, I think the I think the internet has opened things up, mm. and I think self publishing has opened it up, and a whole bunch of good, bad, and indifferent writers are much more belligerent and aggressive about getting in touch with publishers. Yeah, um, and publishers no doubt still like the, the the sift that an agent gives them because it avoids all the crap. And I mean, I've seen you know having been published. Other people said, "Oh, I know someone who's writing a book. Can I send yeah, it, yeah. it to you?" So I did that a couple of times, and it's, it, it gets you nowhere because if it's not good and you tell them it's not good, they get upset and they say, <laughs> oh, "I'm going to get it published because I think it's great." And so <laughs> you may as well just not do yeah. that. So yeah, um, everyone thinks they've got a book in them. So. Exactly. Yeah, yeah it's, it's, and they do. It's whether it's any good or not. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. It's quality or bad <laughs> opinion. Yeah, yeah, and there's some complete dross out there. Um, <laughs> So, so, so Bob picked. So Bob picked it up, up yeah. got the whole thing, got an editor on board. Uh, so yeah, I mean, you you probably know. I don't know if everyone will know, but so the editor is the story editor rather than the copy editor. So you get a story editor, then once you get the story right, it goes to the copy editor who does all the 
grammar and stuff that you've done wrong. So the, the story editor, uh, and again, I didn't know going into this, but it doesn't write or change anything for you. Just uh, give you some notes, have a conversation about what's good or bad, what they'd like you to address, go away. I think I, in adding and taking away, I think we ended up with the book that was 30,000 words longer. It was quite a big edit. Yeah, yeah, well. Um, much more so than any other one. But again, that was I think that was a learning. Pro- that was part of the learning process again. Of, yeah. of they wanted. I mean, just in terms of going to going to the market, they wanted something that was a bit bigger. Yeah, There's nothing more than that. They wanted yeah. a bit of volume, yeah. and add the other things. And it just so happened that all the stuff I was able to add brought it up to about hundred thousand um, words. Um, so they they were fine with that. Got to copy edit. Started getting into cover design, and and that ended up getting published. Yeah, and so. That was a two-book contract for not a lot of money at all, uh, but I was getting published so brilliant. Yeah, 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 um, absolutely. And and it got it got quite. A it was coverage. great. Yeah, yeah, it was. Oh, it was so good. You know, I thought I was going to end. I thought I was going to next team rank, and, it was, <laughs> and I was going to retire from the law because you know it got, got. Bob did a brilliant job of you know getting interviews with the Scotsman and the Herald and Evening Times and the Skinny and all sorts of places. Mm-hmm. You know, great pieces there. Getting booksellers interested. We had a big launch at iWrite. I think it was two hundred people in the Mitchell Library. Oh, yeah. We had a big list of sort of clients and contacts and friends and family. And um, I think it, it started first week. It ended up in the Herald's top ten hardbacks. Really? Got a great review in the Daily Mail. An absolute stonker. Um, it ended up sort of getting to the, in Amazon. It was like in this top sort of couple of hundred for a week or so which is actually yeah, pretty hard to do yeah, yeah. Yeah, you're still not selling tons and tons of books at that but you're you know it's selling so yeah. they were really happy Bob said he'd not had any experience of selling a Scottish crime writer overseas and we got some overseas again not having tons of money but we sold to Poland Serbia Turkey Germany wow. it was a random house it was called Bland Valley that picked it up in Germany we thought that was going to be pretty big they picked up the first three so the first experience was this is amazing it quickly went into profit I mean I think Daisy Chain the earnings from Daisy Chain bought out the advance for Daisy oh, well. Chain and the second book pretty oh, quickly that is quite unusual isn't it well yeah but, and because I hadn't negotiated I just got a crappy advance <laughs> um, yeah so it didn't do that much but yeah it, it, it was a really great platform yeah, yeah. I had a chat about the next book uh, I was going to do something different. He said, well, crime, you know, people like the same characters, do series. I was like, well, I'm up for that because that's the kind of stuff I read. Yeah. So kind of repurposed an idea I'd had for the second book. Uh, and I think actually, in retrospect, that's where I made the mistake in terms of career progression. So it was a direct sequel. Okay. You really had to have read Daisy Chain. And I don't think that was the right thing. So while you have continuing series, you've always got to sort of restart for the next one because yeah. someone might pick it up. Yeah, you know, yeah, it's yeah. like you pick yeah. up the third book without knowing it's the third yeah. book because yeah. they're not numbered like yeah, exactly. graphic novels. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and and off you go. So um, so and that never that never took off. It didn't even sell. I don't think. So it probably sold maybe as well as these. Probably not quite as well. And the foreign sales, some of those had been sort of, we'll take the first two books, so they were picked up uh, with audio books, with sort of large print. So it was still going fine to the extent, and because it had out-earned the contract, they were they wanted to have another one. So I think we were at Edinburgh Festival after the second book was published, or just before it was going to be published maybe. Um, so they'd seen that I'd been able to deliver another 
commercial manuscript within a year because mm -hmm. that was the time scale for the contract. So they knew that I was I was capable of being a professional commercial writer. Mm -hmm. So they came. How did you do that as a lawyer and doing that? In well, that, that was just a much that was just a bit more focus. So this change about a year and a half. So that was just a bit more of a focused mm -hmm. effort. So. Um, I found I could write I then found that the next three books which were contracted I could write in nine or ten months the first draft edit yeah. in a couple of months so it's out in a year because that was the contract so mm. you, you know what it's like being a lawyer you give them a deadline and you yeah. work for the deadline yeah, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. so actually working without a deadline was no use for me mm. once I got a deadline I was like oh right okay I yeah, better pressure start. was what you needed to keep you going exactly yeah. let's go on it um, so, so I needed that focus um, so it was just a more intense version of the, the first one which is just speed it up a bit write more write more often Again, it was kids are in bed. It's night time. It's weekends. It's holidays. Mm. So, I mean, you're sacrificing watching rubbish. Watching rubbish. TV. Watching rubbish. <laughs> <laughs> no, 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 yeah, or reading true. it, or reading a book. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you're sacrificing a bit of time with, with well, sacrifice time with my wife. I would always say, right, I'm going to go and do that. Is that all right? And, you know, she was happy for me to do that. Maybe more than happy. For <laughs> she would get peace and quiet. So. Um, and I used to have this kind of almost stock answer because the first question you always get is where did you find the time to do it? Yeah. And my stock answer, which I think is actually the right answer is, well, do you go to the gym? Do you watch TV? Do you read? Do you ski? Do you mm -hmm. play tennis? Do you play five-a-sides? Well, when you're doing that, I'm writing. Yeah. It's just a hobby like anything else. So when somebody thinks about I could never fit that into my life. What they're saying is, I could never fit that into my life with everything else, mm. yeah. the same that I do right now. Yeah. Well, you can't, of course. You've got to make a sacrifice. You've got to, yeah. Something's got to give. I, I suppose it's a, it's a writing's slightly more difficult for some people because it is, it's a solitary thing, first of all, so it's not like five yeah. a side or something like that. And it doesn't come easy sometimes. I think that's right, depending on your personality. Yeah. I think I've found, um, um, despite the fact I'm a big commercial law firm and head of the division and been to all these festivals, I think I'm, I've found that I'm naturally introverted mm -hmm. and I have to work hard at projecting outwardly for business development and everything else. So you work at that, you train at that, and you get better at it. Um, so actually writing was good for me because I, I, I don't mind my own company. Yeah. Um, I quite like being solitary and actually our family's kind of we're all kind of the same so you know the weekend now that the girls are older um, you know Kale sort of sit in the kitchen and get her iPad set up and with her cup of tea and I'll go to the living room and watch some rubbish on Netflix and the girls will be up in the room so we <laughs> yeah. and then we'll come together at night and we'll eat or we'll go out so it suited me um, and I think you know the training studying at school studying at uni being a lawyer I think all of that builds in resilience about whether the product is any good or not, yeah. Because you know, I've 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 been through school, I succeeded. I've been through uni, I succeeded. I've become a lawyer. I've come to this firm. I'm, I'm succeeding here. You know, became a partner here in 2004. So you know, I knew that I yeah. could succeed at things in life. Yeah. So it gave me the confidence. Just go for it. Just try. I'm going to sit there and I'm yeah. going to do it. And I've already been at this stage. I'm published. So I suppose to some extent, you're like, right. I, I can I can just do this. Yeah. And I will just sit down and I will do it. And I yeah. know that if I sit down on any particular night and it's not working, I'll just close the laptop and I'll go away. I'll I'll do it tomorrow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. A kind of blind faith. Yeah. <laughs> yourself. No, that's good. That's, though, that's, that's you true. Need that, yeah, exactly. I think you do need that. I think you need confidence. Yeah. To an extent, you need confidence. That's yeah. And I suppose once you get published and you've got a few books out, you can know. Yeah. You know I can do it. I just need to sit down and actually do it. 
Yeah, and, and, and that's you know the, the, the flip side of the conference that Hachette had once had delivered the second book, that he can do it. Mm-hmm. So I know I can do it. Exactly. They know yeah. I can do it. So they say... So I think we were at Edinburgh Festival. Bob was there. The pretty senior figure from London who just joined Hachette came up. We met. I think she was just getting my... Measure the measure mm. of me, which I didn't realise. I thought she was just up for festival, but I think Bob's staff <laughs> she was sort of taking the, your temperature there, and and they offered me another two books with more money and um, so yeah, off I went with another two books over another two years or one a year. Fantastic. Um, and by that stage, it was much more streamlined. So I, I'd worked out that that I wasn't good free form. I wasn't good within the strictures of too much of a of a of a plan, and so it was a kind of hybrid of. Have some notes, have some ideas, have something down on paper, but allow your ability to to flow within that to yeah. be there. So, and that that I ended up working best for me. And did you have an overarching storyline or something that you wanted for Logan to finish? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, um, I suppose there were two things. So, you know, Daisy Chain Logan started as a lawyer. I mean, he's very much a kind of. Um, more exciting, dynamic, better-looking version of me. <laughs> um, but with Cahill uh, and the close protection team, the idea was always that Logan would join that team, so it would fall out. He became their sort of announced lawyer, but the idea was always that he would become a bodyguard, so it would become that yeah. kind of series. And I, I'm sure I mentioned this in one of the festivals I was at, that you know I, I initially thought of Logan as being the sort of do-all hero, and I thought, that's not very realistic a Scottish lawyer. I mean, as much as I might think I'm amazing, <laughs> I'd get my head kicked in pretty easily if things started to go down somewhere. Because so, he was going to be ex-army or something. Right. So, okay. Just trying to do too much with that. So I'm a big fan of Robert Crace's books, Elvis Cole and Joe okay. Pike, doing for Red Dem. So, so he's got a private detective called Elvis Cole, been around for decades now probably, and, and he's got a sort of, you know, and he's very handy himself, but he's got a mate who's sort of special forces called Joe Pike, um, who does all the real dirty work. And I thought, well, it's it's going to be a two-hander then. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's how I came to I came to split it with Logan and with yeah. with Kate Hill as well. Because um, when I read them, I think the the thing that I really thought of was the especially the first one. It, 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 the first half of it is, seems like a kind of a lawyer police investigation kind of yeah. procedural feel to it yeah. and then the latter half it really <laughs> leans into this kind of Lee Child type vibe yeah. uh, and, it, and it kind of goes into more of an action vibe yeah. and that was a really I didn't expect it to go in that yeah. in that way um, and it was, it was really quite good to read yeah. uh, and is that kind of stuff you like to read yourself is that the kind oh, of yeah, that, idea from yeah, that? Yeah I mean Crace is a bit like that it's quite yeah. you know there's, it's a PI thing you know they're, they're, there's a lot of action in it I love a bit of um, Jack Reacher mm-hmm. Don Winslow, James Elroy, yeah. Michael Connolly. You know, Britain and Scotland has got a brilliant tradition of the procedurals, the yeah. you know, Ian Rankin and yeah. Agatha Christie and, and Laidlaw. Yeah, Laidlaw, of course, Kilmarnock based mm. or born of Marijuana, yeah. yeah. Um but it's, it's, and I like those fine, but I I don't really read them. Mm-hmm. Um and I I don't really like who done it? So you notice really none of my books are who done it. Yeah, yeah. You kind of know who the, the the protagonists are. It's just so it's a much more American style of of, of book than mm. British tradition. Um, so yeah, so well, Daisy Chain started that way. That was deliberate. It was always going to pivot to yeah. you know 
let's go mental. <laughs> um, and I think, and, and some people liked the fact that halfway through it becomes a totally different yeah. route, and some people hated the fact that it, halfway through it becomes a totally different route. I can route. imagine that, yeah. I liked it. I liked it a lot as well, yeah. definitely. Yeah. And I, I had, um, more latterly than then, but not from the book, but from the Hunt for Red October movie, mm. and, and, and so they talk about the Russian submarines doing crazy Ivans, which means they stop dead and turn around yeah. very quickly to see if they've been yeah. followed. Um, and one of the agents, I, I, I got in touch with some other agents latterly, and one of them talked about, you know, like my sort of, um, I can't remember what he called it, it was audacious plot twists or something in, in the one he was reading. And so I, I kind of focus on that sort of, try to keep your audience off yeah. balance. Yeah. And I think, you know, Daisy James is the star of that with that halfway through it yeah. pivots to something completely different it does have that feel of like a, you know the chapter's quite short it's very pacey yeah. there's always something happening end of the cliffhanger it, yeah. it does have that forward pace that just keeps yeah. you going through and it, I mean, that's what just happened it comes more actually it's because you spent time as you say from the bad guys kind of point of view that it, it just builds really nicely to the, to the climax so it's, it's definitely a good way to write a book I think that, that yeah well I mean, interestingly you know the, the, there was no bad guy's perspective in the first draft that was one oh, of the right. things the agent hated yeah, oh really I was like I'm not interested in them I, I, I'm interested in the good guys mm-hmm. he said no you need that you, you need the motivation you need the balance you yeah. need something in there and, and he it turned out he was right and the editor had the same view but yeah, you know, short chapters was I was the thing I always like. I hate long chapters because I feel like I've got to get to the end of a chapter. And yeah, so something's yeah. twenty five pages long and it's midnight. I'm like, oh, <laughs> yeah. so short, punchy. Yeah, yeah, all about that. It's it was about you know I, I I'm not the best writer by a million miles, but I think I can I can, I can tell a propulsive story. Absolutely, I, think I can do that, and so that's what I aim to do. Yeah, yeah. I, I read Blackboard, which is obviously the different. Yeah, it's the American set one. Yeah, finally got to finally. Got to, yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. And uh, that as well, it has very much all of those things. But sort of building up these different threads, you're seeing the short chapters from different yeah. people's point of views until it all comes together at a climax. So yeah, yeah. It, you know, is for a thriller. I think it's a great short chapters in a thriller. I think are great because they do the end in a cliffhanger. They're building up attention each time. Yeah, I mean, I, do, I, I haven't done any studying of creative writing or anything, but I, I only read bits and bobs about it. But one thing that stuck in my mind, and I can't remember where I picked it up from, was in, in a book like that, that the book of the type that I wanted to, that I liked reading and, and writing, you needed conflict every five or ten pages. Now that didn't mean someone would pull a gun. It didn't mean actual conflict. It just meant conflict between characters or, 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 or actual conflict so you had to have something rubbing against something else fairly quickly and, and I found the best way for me to do it was to do that chapter based so short chapters so that you say right that stopped there I need conflict in this one whatever yeah. that conflict might be I just found that again it was that compartmentalising that sort of lawyer that sort of logical yeah. Yeah. way of constructing things and um, what took you to Blackwater after the, the Logan Finch ones what made you change because yeah. you'd always wanted to write that book that's what you liked reading so you always wanted to yeah. write that American well I scratched it a wee bit in protections to the last Finch book because I was kind of I didn't know where to go with, with the end of that the end of the American end of that so it's half mm-hmm. and half in London and, and Colorado um, and, and it, it, it came to me sort of fairly late on that actually where I was really heading was almost repurposing the book that never got published which was putatively titled Wolf Creek right. 
before the movie World Street was out, um, <laughs> I was ahead of the game <laughs> because it was based in Colorado, Denver. So the detective character Jake Hunter, he was actually the lead in Wolf Creek. So I, I, I put him into protection, not with the view of repurposing Wolf Creek, but as I got towards the end of it or halfway through it, I thought actually that whole sort of back end of Wolf Creek is really where I'm going. So I, I repurposed a fair chunk of that, um, not lazily because I, I I always liked that book and I yeah I also maybe somewhere down the line it'll get published and I thought actually I can do it here. So I took a chunk of that, so the sort of end part of that, the I guess people might want to read the books that are listening to this, so I won't give away the ending, but <laughs> when they go to the house eventually in the town and, and what they find there and, and all of that stuff and, and the FBI coming into it, that's all that's all Wolf Creek stuff. Okay. And right. the, the Agent Graves is a Wolf Creek character and his right. relationship with Hunter, that's all Wolf Creek, so... That's interesting. Yeah, ten that, years later, I, I was able to get it published. <laughs> sort of. but, that, but that does show as well that you know, I mean, everyone always says that you should never wipe away stuff you've done because yeah. it will sit there, and yeah. no matter how long it takes, there will be something usable that you can take from that yeah. later on, and it's obviously true. And it's it, absolutely true in that case. Are you, yeah. are you, does early Sims exist in the same world as no conventions? Totally. So that was totally different. So yeah, that was the question you asked. Good to get me back on. <laughs> You're a good lawyer. <laughs> You're taking my examination chief, right? Um, so protection got finished. Um, I had an ag- I'd re-engaged an agent by that stage. He turned out to be rubbish. So my my two experiences <laughs> of agents have been very poor, and my experience of publishers have been very good. So I'm oh, obviously the opposite of yeah. most writers. Yeah. Most writers love their agents and they hate their publishers. <laughs> I've got no time for agents. <laughs> I think they're useless. Um, Parasites taking twenty <laughs> percent for them, bugger all. Hell is what you really think. <laughs> I'm sure yours is nice uh, and and good and helpful. Yeah, my experience is atypical. So um, he he helped get protection. Um, so Hachette Scotland was struggling at this point; they were going to shut it down. He helped get protection repositioned so it was published under the headline banner. So, so I thought that was important because you know it might get more traction. It turned out they weren't putting any anything behind it because I think they'd written me off by this stage. Uh, and he, the best route he thought in was was a new book to my existing editor there to see if they would take it on. But during the process, so I'd met three agents uh, down, down to London for a day. I'd got three agents interested. So this was a rip. Blinds had been published. Protection was pretty much done. So that's the third, just for yeah. Sorry, Blindside's the third, third book. book. Protection's the fourth book. I knew my contract wasn't getting renewed, or, or they hadn't offered me anything. So I sort of got in touch with a bunch of agents. Said, right, I'm published author. I can do this. I'm professional. I'm a lawyer. You'll, you know, I'll model client. Um, I'm looking for the next stage of my career. I got three interested. Went down, saw them. Um, and it was actually one of them. I can't remember which one it was, said to me, the way your Finch books went, they were getting sort of bigger and bigger and bigger. Mm-hmm. This team was local, um, Fallout was local but expanding, Blindside went to America and Protection was getting really expansive in terms of London and Colorado and everything. Mm-hmm. And he or she said, um, so you can either, you've either got to go bigger or you've got to go right back and go smaller. Okay. And said, your, your existing books, the rights will stay with the publisher. So if you're not published by them, you probably have to do something new to go somewhere else. So that really, after thinking about it, solidified I wanted to do something new, something smaller. I didn't want to go bigger. 
I would have gone bigger with Finch and Cahill if they yeah. continued because that was the plan. I had a plan for another book, but that wasn't going to happen. So I thought, right, I'll go small town American noir. That's what I wanted to do. Um, like, a, I mean, nowhere near the writing quality James Lee Burke um, has sort of read his Robichaud book set in Louisiana. Yeah. Amazing. I mean, what a writer. But it was that kind of thing. Or even, you know, God forbid, Elmer Leonard, that kind of yeah, smaller yeah, yeah, town. Yeah. Cast of lots of characters. As a classic Elmer Leonard, everyone coalesces at the yeah. end, you know, I get shorty yeah. or something like that. Yeah, exactly. Um, Maximum Bob or any one of them. So decided to do that. I mean, I, I think I know I can't do a, like a an Elmer Leonard or a Carl Heisen or a, like a funny, gothic, crimey thing. Mm-hmm. I knew I had to go sort of serious. That's my kind of thing. Yeah. So, um, no, Early Sims was... Where did he come from? Um, where did the name come from? Yeah, the name, I know where it came from. I was trying to think <laughs> of the character. The name, so... It's, uh, the Early Sims is the main... He's the deputy sheriff who's the main yeah. character of Blackwater. Correct, yeah. yeah. So... Um, I love the fact you get these weird and wonderful names in American mm, crime fiction yeah. and in you know cinema. You know. Um, so I wanted to kind of try and embrace that a wee bit. So I, I, I'm a big fan of American football. So he's a combination of two American footballers. So oh, right. there's an American footballer. They're both retired, long retired. I think he was a wide receiver for Atlanta. He was called Early Doucette, right. which is a great character name of itself. Yeah, yeah, and that's absolutely. a Robichaux, That's yeah, a yeah, James Lee Burke character yeah, yeah. name, Early Doucette. <laughs> and I thought, no, well, he's going to be. I'm a you know as white as can be Scotsman so he's going to be a white person so early to say it sounds a wee bit Cajun or something it's just mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. so and then um, I think I was just flicking through a bunch of names and, and there's an old uh, New York Giants quarterback who won a Super Bowl uh, called um, Phil Sims and he's got a, he had a son who was a quarterback called Chris Sims and I thought early Sims kind of works I quite like that and so that's where that came, the name came from. The and it sort of influenced the character then as well, because there's the football yeah, aspect of exactly. early as well. Okay. Yeah. And so, and that book was, you know, I, I starting with a synopsis of what that book, or the plot of what that book might be, was about a man who knows about violence and is capable of violence, and therefore placed in a world of violence from other men is able to handle himself but actually tried to be a bit more sort of philosophical sounds kind of wanky but um, if I can say wanky in your voice <laughs> um, just something with a, a little bit more to it than the kind of straightforward commercial propulsiveness of the other books um, so it was about someone who's steeped in violence has been in the early part of his life traumatised by violence um, but as in a violent career, he's a cop, so it was it was trying to deal with all of that. So yeah, the football played into it because he has that traumatic experience comes from th- play, playing football when he's a teenager, um, and 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 in this case, I wanted him to be a Logan and Cahill amalgam. He had to be able to handle it all himself. Yeah. So it, it was most obvious it would make him a cop, and it, you'd make him of a certain size and physicality. So he played football. So all of that worked perfectly for what you know I wanted him to be and that book probably more than the others was a bit more free-flowing I, I didn't plan a lot of that I mean I knew I wanted the so the, the main protagonist the Kane brothers I knew I wanted sort of spree killers that was yeah. the idea behind right. that but all the other stuff kind of came you know the the issues with the sheriff the sort of abusive husband issue with his you know, ex-girlfriend. His ex-girlfriend that all just kind of 
came out of the right. This is a. I need a cast of characters. I need lots of things to then coalesce together. So they all came out of that. So, so the initial idea was single character, physicality embodied in a single man, capable himself, the violence around him, the two men being the speed killers. But I didn't think that was enough for what I wanted to do. So I needed to bring all the other stuff in. But that was much more, much less planned. It, it, it reminded me of, rather than comparing to books, but of sort of aspects of it reminded me of Justified as well. But oh, I love of, Justified. Yeah, no, yeah, so yeah, it, yeah. it had that sort of setting, from, albeit not in, not in the same sort of area as Justified, but it, that same sort of setting. Yeah, I suspect Justified, if, if only subconsciously, definitely influenced me. I thought that was an, that was an amazing TV show. And of course, based on an yeah, Elmer yeah, short yeah, story yeah, to begin with. So, yeah, no, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that must have influenced me back then when I started out writing mm-hmm. that. And bearing in mind that, you know, I started Blackwater pretty quickly after I finished Protection. So that was only published in 2017. I think I finished it in 2013 or 14. Oh, okay. So right. it was written okay. a while ago, so it was probably sort of peak justified sort of okay. yeah. seasons. Um, yeah, so all of that. Um, and, and somebody, it was one of the book bloggers that reviewed it, talked about it being a sort of modern-day Western, and that's very much the feel yeah. of it, yeah. you know. Although he wears a baseball cat, I didn't want to have a cliche of him wearing a yeah. Stetson, and I thought that's just going too far. <laughs> Um, perfectly fine for Timothy Oliphant and Justified, <laughs> but um, too much for the, for Cape Cod. Um, so yeah, that's definitely the modern day Western was part of it. And what was your experience then selling Blackwater compared to the first four books? Because obviously it's set in America. Yeah. Did you try and market it in America? Was it was it difficult to to know where to sell it? Well, what was the publishing situation? Then? Yeah, yeah, so yeah. that got published by Fahrenheit Press, which is an independent. Um, so that was an interesting process. So I. The agent. I finished that book when I still had the agent. Um, he tried to he, he tried to get a place with headline, and they they didn't want it, and he just lost interest. He wasn't interested in pushing anywhere else, and, and eventually I just he just started ghosting me, which millennials will understand. I had to look it up, <laughs> um, and so I binned him, and and I just got fed up for a bit. So for a couple of years, I didn't really do anything with it. I just thought, oh, well, I, I wrote it and I wanted to write it, so that's fine. And then a couple of years later. I think I just was just come back around to thinking, why not try and get that published? And I wrote it, and it's good. I went back and reread it. And thought, no, it's good. Might even be the best in terms of the writing of any books that I've, I've written. So I got so I felt reasonably active on Twitter, which I started when I not for legal stuff. It's for it was for writing really yeah. to sort of promote that. And I'd met. So I went to the Harrogate Crime Festival, which is a big crime festival down in England, towards the end of my sort of headline career, and hung out with the headlines of um, uh, PR people who were all sort of young, enthusiastic, loved books, you know, yeah. frighteningly young and enthusiastic, and you know, had a couple of nights with them and a couple of days with them, and so I'd followed them all on Twitter at that time. So I went. And, and their careers had all changed. So one of them, a woman called Sam Eads, had become, I noticed had become a commissioning editor. She'd moved from headline, gone somewhere else, can't remember where, and become a commissioning editor. So I, I DM'd her on Twitter and said, hey, do you remember me? We spent those couple of days with the, the gang. Um, I've got a new book. Do you fancy it? Um, she said, well, it's not really my thing. Um, you were a good, I always thought you were a good writer. It's not really my thing. Here's some people to try. And it was mainly, it was some agent, it was a mixture of agents and a mixture of indie publishers. Presumably on the basis that the indie, it's easier to go to the indies direct than it is yeah. with it, because I said I didn't have an agent. 
So I'd put together, it was another kind of pitch like professional writer, I don't know, four, he's written a book, yeah. so went to a couple of agents, quite a narrow list, maybe four or five, uh, sent it to the, I can't remember if I just sent it to the one publisher to Fahrenheit, I can't remember. And that guy, the guy that runs Aga, Chris, I can't remember his second name now, um, such an interesting character, um, had spent time in publishing, had, he's Scottish, he's from Glasgow, right, okay. had spent time in publishing over here, had gone over to America to Silicon Valley, had made some money in software, I think it ended up being, or in marketing, it became some more in the marketing side of it, kind of semi-retired, um, decided he wanted to do something in publishing, so set up Fahrenheit on his own, I think self-funded it. It was all about crime and noir, so I emailed him and Chris got... McVie. Chris McVie. Chris that's right, yeah. Got an immediate response from him saying, what a coincidence, I loved your... I loved oh, your really? Cahill books, as he called them. Yeah. Um, I'll totally publish this. No bother. Oh, fantastic. <laughs> send it to me. <laughs> uh, send it to him, and, and that's where that, that ended up. Um, and I, it, because it's independent, it was just a one-off, no contract for anything else. He's just happy to publish it. It's ebook, print-on-demand on Amazon if you want it. It got some real great traction with some book bloggers. A couple of them put it in their best, best top ten books of 2017 and made a few hundred quid out of it. But And I thought, I'll write something else, but I wouldn't want to write something else different. I, I, I didn't plan on doing Early Sims as an ongoing thing. I kind of felt like I'd scratched that itch with that book. And a bunch of ideas, sat down, maybe at the tail end of 2017, Christmas 2017 probably, sat down when I was at home, started to write, again it would have been a standalone thing, but it's, my heart wasn't in it and I yeah. just wasn't feeling it, so stopped and, and so I've been coming around to to thinking sort of lately I might have a bash at a second early Sims book, because okay. actually when I go back and look at it I think, I think I did a good job with that and it's definitely a world, yeah, I think, I think does, so yeah. it's definitely a, there's more stories to tell. Oh, there, totally, think, yeah. yeah, so, and I, and I had an idea for, so so before that got published and after I'd written it, I, had a, I did have an idea for a sort of second book, um, so I'm sort of toying with that idea, it just, in the interim period, so become, since becoming a partner here, and, and then I, became, I went on the board for three years, and now head of the division, family was growing up, once I stopped the sort of regimented way of doing it, suddenly I, when I thought about going back to doing it, I started thinking like everyone else thought, was like, where will I find the time to do that? Yeah. And actually, I got into the habit of enjoying just sort of vegging and Netflixing and going to the cinema and the thought of doing it again, it just, it began to, th- I began to think of it, so when I was published, even through writing Blackwater, so that had been 2078 through to 2014, so that's like six, seven years. It never felt like a job. It just felt like a hobby that yeah. had blown up. But when I thought about it again, having been off of it for three or four years, I thought it felt like I was going back to a job, mm-hmm. and that just wasn't attractive. Yeah. But now I'm starting to... People keep asking me. I mean, everyone's so interested in it because it's much more interesting than being a lawyer. <laughs> <laughs> When's your next book? What are you doing? And, and I really like them. And um, So, so the, the more I hear people talk about them and, and, and ask me about them, the more it gets me interested again. But... Um, and my oldest daughter's maybe going to university this year, so you know life is starting to change again. And I, I thought I might not write again until I retire, but um, I'm starting to sort of get back into the thinking of yeah, maybe I'll do another one of those. Do you 
wrap it with a few yeah. rapid fire questions. All right. It's a one or the other type situation. So, first one is uh, Star Wars or Star Trek? Star Wars. Star Wars, okay. Yeah. Right. Uh, I like both. What, what pulls you towards the Star Wars? Um, probably did, well, it was first for me, so I'm pretty sure I saw Star Wars before I saw either Star Trek on TV or Star Trek the movie, I think. So I'd have been, what, seven when the first one came out? Yeah. It's just a childhood thing. It's just love. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, never mind the prequels have killed everyone. No, right? no. <laughs> that's also true. Right? Yeah. Uh, Marvel or DC? Um, I'm not one of those who picks between them. Mm. So um, either. Okay. Yeah. If you look to my, if you look to the stuff in my loft and on my shelf, it's probably more DC. But there's quite a lot more indie if you count Image and Aftershock and all those as indies. Yeah. Then. But no, wouldn't choose between either. Uh, TV or cinema? Cinema. I just I, I sometimes go myself if there's movies that I want to see and nobody mm-hmm. else wants to see. And when I sit down and, and it's like me and two other people on a Tuesday night, I love it. And yeah, the, like, yeah. and the, you're not there to chat to anyone. Oh, it's I just love it. I mean, we've got a 65 inch OLED and surround sound <laughs> at home, so you know I can shut the blinds and, and it's. <laughs> No, I know there is definitely something of being yeah. well, filming in the cinema which yeah. you can't quite capture. Yes, yeah, yeah. something yeah. like Blade Runners. Yeah, exactly. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Real book or e-book? Uh, I bought a. So I'll not give you the answer first. I bought a Kindle for the first time last year to go on holiday. I don't really read that much anymore. I just don't find a bit of time. Um, so I put four or five on it. I read one. I read Justin Cronin's The Passage. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Fantastic. Yeah, which I really liked. Um, started watching the TV show, actually. It was okay. Yeah. Great. Very difficult. So fun. Yeah. But I also read um, this guy's name, Afterlife, uh, Marcus Seiki, I think. Oh, I read that. I didn't really like it that much. And I, I, I do wonder if, if the format doesn't quite do it for me, so I'm going to say paper, but real book. Okay. And uh, what's, the, what's the last film you watched? Ooh, does that need to be cinema or TV or anything? Anything, jeez. Probably at the weekend I watched Upgrade. Oh, right, that's the is that the first person view film. No, no, it's uh, by Lee Wannell who did. Um, oh, was it the guy? He's he his, his, his body a, gets his his body is he's a paraplegic and he gets a chip. Ah, that's right, yeah. And it can make him walk again, but he's not in control of it. It was, it was really good. It's it not like a totally yeah, yeah. It's a B movie. B movie yeah, exactly. But it's yeah, a cracking yeah. B movie, yeah. Okay, cool. Yeah. So that was a really interesting chat with Gary, we thought. Yeah, fantastic. It had an interesting route into publishing. Yeah, they often say you shouldn't approach publishers directly, but he seemed to have broken the rule on that one. It's done him well. Yeah, and he had some interesting views about agents there. <laughs> Absolutely. I'm not sure he'll be getting a new agent anytime <laughs> soon. Uh, and Tarek, tell me, what is it about this Star Wars you like? Well, Marco, I think any true fan will tell you that the Star Wars is the official name for the first film. Okay, the, the definite article is a must there, clearly. <laughs> Um, have you been up to anything good recently? Um, I've been reading a really good book by Adrian J. Walker called The End of the World Running Club. Uh, he's actually a feature guest on our podcast. It's a great kind of mashup of a post-apocalyptic end of the world story, but set in Scotland. And that's quite unusual. I've not read one like that before, so that was, I'm finding it great. Yeah, I, I read it uh, recently as well because Adrian's going to be on the podcast and it is a, a brilliant book, brilliant read, highly recommend it. Obviously, we'll discuss it more when Adrian's here. Mm-hmm. 
but I suppose the log line for it would be The Walking Dead set in Edinburgh. Yeah, absolutely. Which is an unusual one for sure. Um, what about TV or cinema? Seen anything good? Uh, saw Captain Marvel at the weekend. Really good. Really enjoyed that. Um, it's very Marvel-y. I think the Marvel formula, you'll know by now if you like it or not. I, I, I think it's great. I'm a bit a big fan of the films. Uh, it doesn't bring anything particularly new, but I don't think that's a bad thing. I think it was, it was, it was a lot of fun. And is it a must-see before Endgame? Yeah, absolutely. Mainly because she's going to be in, in Endgame, and I think it's important to, to learn who she is before she turns up in it. So yeah, absolutely. What about yourself? Uh, I went to see uh, The Kid Who Would Be King. Oh, nice. Okay, my kids went to see that, and actually, I thought it was really terrific. It's uh, very much an old-school kids' adventure, mm-hmm. but I think if I was nine or ten, it would probably be straight in at number one in my favourite films <laughs> list. So I'm not sure if it's still at the cinema, but I'd highly recommend it, if, if not, because there's a lot in there for for your inner kid, even if you're an adult as well. Yeah, I've not seen that yet. That's on my list. of. Uh, yeah, I'm hoping it's still playing in cinema, so I can't go and see it. Anyway, that's enough chat from us just now. We hope you enjoyed the first episode of the Page One podcast as much as we enjoyed recording it. And uh, we'll be back next week speaking to Rose Watkins, who's the author of The Devil's Dice, another crime thriller, and uh, also the author of Dead Man's Daughter, which is out very soon. But we'll leave you with some more information about upcoming Page One launch, and see you guys next week. See you. The blank page. To some, it's terrifying, an obstacle to overcome. But we prefer to think of it as an opportunity, a blank canvas to be filled with all of the adventures and characters in our head. So how to overcome that fear? Well, we all know the best advice for a writer is, write. Seriously, get words on the page and more will follow. But what about later, when you start trying to pull those threads of what you've written together? What about the character you wrote about way back at the start? Who was she again? What was she carrying? And where did she leave the MacGuffin that she now really needs in the third act? Think about all those top thrillers you like to read. Or that amazing drama you just watched. What did they all have in common? Structure and planning. As aspiring writers ourselves, we've tried many different methods to try and organise all the thoughts about the stories we want to tell. We've been there searching for a piece of scrap paper to note something down or making a quick note on our phone in between meetings. Or sometimes we'll make a note in whatever notebook we're carrying or a document on our laptop so we don't forget that great idea. Let's be honest, it can all be a bit messy and it's easy to lose track of everything. And that's when we realise it's not just a story that needs structure and planning, but the way we gather all of our thoughts about it as well. And so we made Page One. Page One is more than just another notebook. It's a place to put down all your ideas for your latest project, divided into easy-to-use sections that will help you plan your story so that when that blank page comes calling, you're ready to answer. And then afterwards, once it's written, we realised you need to plan how to let people read it, so we included a section relating to submissions. We've created three editions of Page One, Standard, Premium and Exclusive Kickstarter Edition. Each one is designed for one project, whether you want to write a book, screenplay, a comic or any other kind of story. We truly believe that when you use it, it will help you get to the main event, writing your story. So we hope this helps. We can't wait to read what you come up with. And remember, every story starts with page one.